Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello. So we join you as we bid a fond farewell to game week five, perhaps the first truly testing fixture set of the season as benches get used to their max and small pass decisions begin to have repercussions and FPL outcomes. Some managers flourished, others scraped by, but a fair deal, a glimpse of the depths of a Hindu monkey style level of despair this week, that's for sure. Uh, we are Who Got the Assist. I'm Tom. You can find me on Twitter at WGCA underscore FPL. My co-host Anthony is at FPL Stag. Also on Instagram, wta.fpl. Lee code is 2IP43T. We'll do a quick update for you in a little bit. Also on video as well. Never replace the audio, of course, but just so you know it's there. Head over to YouTube, see our ugly mugs. And also a handsome mug too alongside us in uh, our guest tonight. It's Surya from the brilliant at All About FPL, who is up at 2.30am IST to be on the pod. What a madman. He's several coffees deep as well, so I'm sure we'll get lots of very energetic insight from him. Uh, but welcome, Surya. Really good to have you on. Yeah, thanks, Tom, for having me, and it's it's, it's a pleasure uh, to be on Forgot the Assist. WGTA was one of my uh, motivations to start all over FPL, and I'm proud that I'm here as a guest. So, looking forward to the recording. Yeah, cheers, oh. cheers for having me. Yeah, we're absolutely delighted to have you on, sir. Yeah, it's great to finally get you on, and um, yeah. It's been one hell of a game week, I think. It's been a really testing one, as Tom said. And so it's really exciting to kind of get into it with you on this part of all pods. I think it's a good one. And I think we're finally coming to a point where we have enough data to start making some sort of conclusions as well, which means that we're, we're able to dive a little bit more into things. And I guess on that point, what we're going to do is look at defences today. We've been changing tack on what we've been looking at the last few weeks, which has been focusing on premiums and inevitably players that go forward and their sidekicks, you know, so we had days where we were looking at the premium attackers and the midfielders, and we've also been looking at kind of, you know, the, the Jota and Greenwood type characters. Now we're looking at the defences and we're going to see which defences we think we should be looking to get into our FPL teams, who should be, we be investing in. And that's particularly interesting because we've got quite a few fixture shifts coming up. So there's an awful lot of questions coming in from the community on this particular aspect. But like every podcast, we're going to start this one with the Game Week reviews. So yeah, as the guest, 63 this week, talk us through it. What did you do and how did you get on? 
Yeah, I think it was fairly a decent enough score. So what I did was I had Antonio, uh, but I got Antonio late into uh, the season. So I didn't have much of value tied in him. So I tried to uh, make a move to Bamford, uh, which actually got me five points. I, that, that was an assist. I can gladly take that and run away. Uh, yeah, and I actually benched uh, Ben Rama for uh, Trent. And of course, Trent didn't play and I got some uh, jammy points from there on the bench. So that's 10 points. And oh, nice. Uh, uh, Livermento will go on to keep a clean sheet against uh, Man City. So, uh, kind of uh, burnt by Wolves' defence. Uh, we all thought uh, um, they're probably going to do well against Brentford. But then, of course, at least I'm glad that I didn't double up. Uh, White was another uh, great one. I always target a score of 60-plus uh, in, in a normal game week like this. And it's fairly above the, above the margin. So, it's it's all good for me. Yeah. Cool. Um, and how are you doing this season overall? You said you didn't have Antonio until a little bit late. So, I'm guessing you're a yeah. little bit below where you want to be. Yeah, I think I always start slow. And that has been the trend this season as well. So, I'm sitting around in the 1.3 million mark. Of course, uh, it's not worrisome because I always start slow. So, it, it's a bit of a catch-up. And so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a crucial few weeks ahead for me and my team. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's not really on the beef, but always good to feel chilled about it rather than panicking, that's for sure. Anthony, you're next. I think we're actually tied this week. Um, but yeah, I, I've got you next in, in the list here. Uh, 65 for you. Yeah, Tom, indeed. Uh, 65 points, which is absolutely fine. I guess I'm still kind of reeling from the wildcard disaster and trying to work things out. And so my two free transfers this week kind of reflect some of the mistakes that I made and what I had to fix. So Bruno moved to Salah, Kane moved to Ronaldo. Both of those came in, both of those scored. I captained Salah, thankfully, um, as I would have been massacred if I hadn't. So his 12 points were doubled. He was the highest scorer in my team. Um, I didn't do any of the further transfers I'd considered. I think on the last pod, I was saying I had my two free transfers and I was considering as much as a mini wildcard minus eight, which would have basically found a way to get Trent Alexander-Arnold into my team. To be perfectly honest with you, Tom, I really, really would have done it, except that I was just away um, for the weekend, I had, a gra- I had a graduation in the Netherlands and it was just like, I can't think about this. I can't process it. So I just did the two transfers to get the premiums in. I had my captaincy sorted and I could sleep, you know, soundly knowing that I just hadn't overthought things and I just avoided doing it. So thankfully that worked out for the better. So I ended up with a 150k green arrow, thanks to that 65 pointer, bringing me now to about 750k in the world. Um I guess in the context of where I was in about game week two, this is very annoying, but in the context of, you know, where I could have been or where I even have been in like game week four and (laughs) stuff like that, this feels like a pretty good result. So all in all, we'll just keep um, plowing forward, very small steps forward. And hopefully I don't have an injury nightmare with the kind of all the players that I have now flagged, Ailing and Rafinha flagged. And then it's kind of just general problems with some players who I just don't feel like I want anymore. Um, Benrama, Jata. Benrama scored, I know, but I still feel this way. Um, not for this current That's game week, but it's just kind of, it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah, exactly. It's a, all Benrama goals are jammy. They don't, they don't actually exist in a real yeah. world, mm. um, as I've discussed before, but at least I got something for getting Benrama in conforming with you lot with my wildcard. So yeah. that was something at least. And it's nice to see that uh, Shaw is falling out of the template as well. So slowly but surely, my template renegating is coming to pass. Buying Salah and then captaining him. Who knew that that would be the key? Yeah, of yeah. insight right there. Yeah, FPL Viking does a, a mini league update, and I was, um, you know, I was credited as being the second best, you know, transfer in this week, and it was because I brought in Salah into my team. And I was like, <laughs> it's like this is not deserved, but okay. Yeah. 
the way Jimmy those sort of prizes. And I'm last uh, 65 points as well. Um, I rolled my free transfer. I kept Antonio, but I'm a bit surprised I came away with a green arrow simply because I had no goalkeeper and Backman was sensationally dropped. I think they were saying he had a knee injury, but the, the athletic later said he'd been dropped. Um, so only 10 men, because I foolishly went for Steer because he's gonna he would play Martinez's games when he's on quarantine um, in game week eight and game week 12 over Foster. Felt super stupid. Now I've got a goalkeeper problem to fix, which is quite unwelcome. I needed all three subs this week as well, which annoyingly meant I had a zero point defender coming on in the shape of Brandon Williams, also having another zero point defender in Cody. You know, Shaw Blanks, Anthony laughed about uh, Jota Blanks, three zero pointers, but you know, Salah captaincy obviously doing the doing the business. Uh, ben Benny Rama with that amazing shot from the edge of the area which was definitely on target 100% on target um, flying in for that, that massive screamer um, D- um, Dennis uh, Ronaldo and Christensen uh, all getting sixes um, so limped to 65 and a fairly decent recent green arrow from 425k to 265k um, not amazing but still good enough really uh, for where I am um, and some objectives um, objective reminders um, do this every week just to make sure that we are uh, keeping uh, to what we said we do at the start of the season when we're not letting our wild impulses lead us astray um anthony i think you've uh, done okay here especially because you've brought in the captain uh, of the herd or the algos yeah exactly yeah so i captured with the herd and that worked out quite well because i had a captaincy and that was of course my first objective and i have achieved that happily thankfully more than anything uh transfers i well i one of the things that i said is that don't be afraid to transfer out elite players if they've dropped off and i transferred out both kane and bruno this week so i think i have uh, passed that one with flying colors as well this week in terms of timings, I did not make my transfers late, late, late on a Friday night or a Saturday morning. I did them early in the week before anything could happen. I think even before Champions League games had happened, and that isn't necessarily advisable, but I did it early. And in terms of play style as well, I'd said max 10 hits in total in the season and max one hit in the first five game weeks. We've had the first five game weeks. I took no hits uh, so far. So I guess I've graduated from that particular objective, leaving me now with four, having started with what we kind of call like 4.75. So uh, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, mortarboard in the air for that one. Uh, for me, captaincy, do what Mikel's caps now with to do every week. Yeah, did it. Um, Salah, transfers on 50 situation over the hit. No transfers this week. And the game transfers take a chance on form. The woolly one. Um, but again, no transfers this week. Maybe something to think about for next week. But maybe not. Maybe I will kick the can down the road once more. And more on that later. So yeah, do you have any kind of objectives or things that you do over the course of seasons or perhaps just this season? Yeah, I think I had two things for this particular season. Of course, last season I ended with a decent rank of 20k, but then captaincy daily brought my uh, rank down because I was kind of uh, looking into a lot of uh, um, against opponent uh, statistics and too much into dwelling into those areas of uh, yeah, uh, which is which is quite uh, not the right way to do things. So uh, this season I decided to do. Majorly stick the captaincy with the premium options that that tend to uh, do well, but of course, uh, trying to keep fixture in front uh, mostly uh, backed up by stats. So that was the reason I brought Ronaldo in and captained him in uh, game week four. That worked out pretty really well, and that's the same case with Salah in front of the home. Uh, I think it's, it's been going well so far. And also uh, another thing is in terms of uh, uh, short-term transfer moves. Don't don't move in uh, players just for a one week or a two week or transfer. Uh, okay. I made that mistake by bringing in uh, Kane and uh, dropping Salah out in game week three. Uh, it didn't work well, just like how it went for Andrei. <laughs> it was painful to see him take the penalty. And I in oh, fact, don't talk about it. <laughs> I in fact moved Salah to. Uh, 
uh, Saar and then I moved a striker to Kane and I did this nightmare. It was, it was horrible. And yeah, so I did the mistake again. So I hope to not repeat that in the um, due course of the season. Yeah, those, those two are the main ones. For me. yeah. Fair play. So I'm very, very sensible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Min League update um, before we go on to the market forces then. Um, I Min League is a 2IP, 4 free t And this week, the top man is still Ryan Quinn. Um, he has, um, of course, uh, been there for the last couple of weeks. He got 67 points this week. Uh, Salah captaincy. Uh, it was pretty much Salah captain throughout, except for one man um, who did have a bit of a fall, as we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, but yeah, Ryan's ahead in the league by about 14 points over. Uh, in second, Andrew Ferguson. I assume that's not Fergie from the hub. And now that's a team. He's up to seconds from 21st with a 77-pointer this week. Um, Salah, again, doing the business as his captain. Uh, in third as well, another big riser. In fact, no, between three and six, uh, perhaps a testament to how bunched up we've all been. Um, these are all new people in the top 10 um, who have come there from the 20s and 30s. So in third, uh, King Creed, the big Lewandowski, 76. In fourth, Naomi Nishimura. Uh, Gnomes FC 72 in fifth uh, Carl Josephson who actually tweeted me to say he was coming after Ryan uh, on Twitter with 75 this week Um, and uh, in sixth uh, Roy's 11 uh, tax man up from 38th uh, all the way to sixth from 75 this week Uh, poor old Boris Stoichkovic bears the brunt of all these people going forward so he only got 54 this week and went for the bold decision to captain Jota and it must have been distraught Annoyed, angry, as we all do get uh, watching Jota play. But yeah, just 54 for him. And that sees him uh, drop off a little bit. Um, new entry to the league uh, in eighth, uh, Ryan Mackey, um, who wildcarded this week for an 80. And uh, finally rounding off the top 10, um, three people actually joined ninth. So Teja Adavi, uh, the flying, the sinking Dutchman, I should say, 67 points. Carl Chin, pure X vibes in 84. And Ben Arama. Um, Josh M, uh, 81 points. Uh, so well done for everybody. Uh, enviable, uh, enviable uh, progress indeed. Right, Market Force Symphony. This is a section where we speak about the movers and shakers. It's been interesting to see what you think as well, so yeah, about what's going on. Yeah, so in terms of movers, it's actually quite interesting because it's the person who we were talking about as one of the most transferred out last week, and he's now the most transferred in player this week. That's, of course, Mikel Antonio, who after 1.7 million transfer or net transfers out last week ended up falling by 0.1 in price i think we would have all expected him to fall by a little bit more than that but that's the way it went for him so at 7.9 million 227,000 people have deigned to bring him back into their sides he's closely followed by cristiano ronaldo as the second most transferred in player after that then it's kind of a, a smattering with uh sar and ben rama popular most of the midfielders with about 190k transfers in each and they're matched pretty much by Alan Maximan, who has 183,000 transfers in and has ghosted his way, in my opinion anyway, to four returns so far this season, just as Newcastle turned towards some decent fixtures. And he kind of presents something akin to something like value if you really want to buy into that Newcastle side at 6.7 million, just because uh, he seems to be the one who seems to be getting the points. But still, I feel like there are so many better options in that area that uh, the amount of attention he's getting from managers is uh, maybe concerning, to say the least. Uh, Deroy Gray is kind of the only other notable transfer in in terms of midfielders, 135,000 transfers in, about the same as Marcus Alonso, who has 131,000 transfers in and is now 5.7. So he's just slowly but surely rising away there, five consecutive starts, and he'll obviously be part of our discussion in the later part of the pod. So yeah, do you have any any thoughts on those uh, popular transfers in? I think in particular, it's it's interesting to see Sar and Ben Rama and Gray being as popular as they are. Yeah, I think managers are trying to hop off 
Ben Rama and bring in Saar in. And of course, Saar uh, presents a very good short-term move. So their, their next two fixtures are actually uh, really good. They play Leeds and Newcastle United in the next two. So I think Saar is definitely a, a very decent decent enough option. And Ben Rama too has been getting all of his, these jammy goals. I think that doesn't really exist in, in the normal world. Uh, yeah, that also makes uh, Antonio is being bought back in. Uh, so it's clearly now a case of owning one uh, rather than both of them now that we have a lot of other options to cover. Uh, Gray is some, someone is concerning, uh, considering uh, Everton have lost Richard Lee and Nashville for the next three weeks. Uh, I don't see who's going who's gonna to be at the end of uh, finishing of those chances. So, uh, yeah, those, those will come up. Alonso is someone we can have a detailed chat about in the yeah, I guess. And then going to those transfers out, indeed, Richardson, who you just mentioned, is the most transferred out player so far at the moment with about 220k transfers out. He's 7.5. Maybe he'll find his way to 7.4. Maybe it'll be 7.3, even though he has nowhere near as many owners as Antonio, because that's just the way the prices roll. Uh, Ferran Torres is the second most transferred out player uh, at the moment, about 167 67 uh, k transfers out. Uh, that's a kind of interesting one, because I think, if anything, because he didn't really get much of a run out the weekend. But at the same time, you're kind of thinking, Mm, you know, he's probably going to start the next one. So it, it seems a little bit of a rush to get him out, considering he has proven himself to be a pretty interesting focal point in that city side. After that, then, there's a real smattering of players who have about 100,000 transfers out. Trent Alexander-Arnold is one of those. Bruno Fernandes is at 142k transfers out. And then you've got Danny Ings, Calvert-Lewin, and these kind of those two moves kind of seem kind of correctional at this point. Obviously, Calvert-Lewin has been ruled out for a period, but uh, with Ings, it kind of feels very correctional and that I'm surprised there are that many teams or that many managers who are as active as this who are transferring him out at this point. A lot of those are kind of quite sensical uh, transfers out, but the Torres one, Surya, do you share my thoughts that it seems a little bit rash to be hitting him out of his side after, you know, one disappointment? Yeah, I think so, but uh, the fixtures, the next two, the short-term fixtures or the next two games kind of, I think, convinces managers to push him out. But of course, okay. City really play well in a big game. Uh, they, they, they go out all guns blazing. And of course, uh, they did uh, draw against the Southampton side. And I think they'll go all out against uh, in the next game that they play. So so I think it's a bit rash. Yeah, yeah so I agree with you on that. Like, we're not really going to be getting into to City players in too much uh, detail, uh, certainly from an attacking perspective in this pod. So might as well like focus on slightly here and that you know a Chelsea game and a Liverpool game yes both away tough fixtures in and of themselves but these are the games that a champion you know a team that hopes to be champions needs to win like these are probably their two main title contenders and the idea that Ferran Torres who seems to be their main man in terms of an attacking threat like this is where he's meant to be good you know this is this is why you bought him <laughs> and it's, it's quite interesting to me that people are kind of bailing on him now uh, we'll see you later on because I'm I'm also was thinking I might bail him. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> I've, I've got one more thing to add here, which I think is quite interesting. Is that Mikel Antonio season long is the second most transferred in player um, of of all. A two point six million transfers in overall for him behind, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo, who's been bought in by three point six million people overall. Uh, any point during the season that is, and he's also second most sold player all season as well, which just shows what a yo yo his ownership is and perhaps how fickle the FPL manager base can be. Um, I'm still a bit surprised um, at, at that, but there you go. All right, we'll take a quick break there and move on to the main topic in just a second. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's into the main topic this week. And uh, as Anthony mentioned earlier on, last few weeks we've got really focusing on the attack or at least things which are kind of about the more exciting side perhaps of our teams. Talking about that was fairly inevitable, but this week I think it felt natural to us to look 
at the back a little bit, especially after seeing defensive BMOF City, Chelsea and Liverpool come through with clean sheets, turn the spotlight, I suppose, back on that defence and thinking about how we invest at the back. If FPL points are the kingpin stat, I suppose, here's the top 10-ish players in FPL at the moment. There's actually 12 due to ties, but um, top is Salah with 50. In second, joint second actually, is uh, Antonio and Ben Rama with 39. In fourth, it's Alonso. Um, which is a bit strange. In joint fifth, it's Trent and Diaz. And in seventh, uh, joint seventh players, Rudiger, Van Dijk, Alisson, Pogba, Bruno, and Greenwood with 33. So you've got one goalkeeper, five defenders, five mids, one forward, all in the top 10 in terms of FPL points scored so far this season. And that kind of heightens why you know we've looked at the attack, we've looked at the midfield in, in particular, uh, but now why we should look at defenders as well, because they are kind of making an impact in teams, perhaps more quietly than other positions, but still nonetheless um, are having impacts on their FPL fortunes. Uh, we speak about literal defenders, I think, here for the most part, uh, despite my own goalkeeper perils, but we will touch on the men between the sticks as well, of course. This is obviously quite an interesting sort of area as well. There's lots of questions from the community about this, which we'll go through as we kind of speak through the kind of questions that we see. That's Dread FPL, um, the dude Morpheus, aka Morpheus Fire, FPL rookie, uh, Neelit Palam Tiwari asked us questions about this, and uh, we'll touch on their questions as we go throughout. So the importance of defence is where we kind of start here. And for me, I guess historically, it's always been about investment, hence my deliberate use of that word when it comes to this episode, sort of central question, where should we invest at the back? Perhaps I shouldn't be, and maybe I should be more open to chopping and changing at the back. But transfers, where I'm concerned, almost always focus on the kind of bright, shiny, new attacking assets. Unless it's kind of enforced, I won't mess around with my defence too much. I'll be far more likely to give a defender time and space uh, versus an attacking option where my feet get far richier, I guess. And that's to my detriment too. So last season, famously overlooking Dallas the whole year. So for me, I guess I'll always invest in defenders. And to extend the metaphor, I'll always be more open to trading attackers at the whim of the weekly events, I suppose. I mean, Soya, what's your view here? How do you kind of look at defenders in your FPL team? Defense is something that I invest in a long-term basis. Uh, but then, of course, when the, when, when the opportunity rises, I think uh, defense offers a lot of value. Considering a defender like uh, Stuart Dallas or, or someone like Trent or someone like when you double up on uh, Robertson, uh, could offer the same 180, 190, 200 points. Of course, uh, making defensive moves is kind of boring, but then you get a lot of points and you get a lot of stability as well in, in terms of defensive assets. You, you bring them in, have for a good fixture run, and I think you're sorted in terms of uh, defensive stability of your FPL team. So uh, I always value that. And it, 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 it's okay to make, make the move of if, if the defensive asset fails. As in this case of Luke Shaw not doing well as we expected. We, we all thought he was going to be a nailed on a season-long asset. I, I don't think that that's going to be the case. It, it's misfiring pretty badly. A lot of options opening up. And it, it's okay to uh, hop of one premium defender to another one and uh, get that stability back in your defense. Yeah, it's interesting the way you said there, Surya, that you know the boring moves tend to be defensive moves. Uh, it's kind of interesting that that's, I think, something that almost every FPL manager would agree with, kind of almost naturally. And yet, you know, getting points isn't all that boring. And I know we can't necessarily say that you know what has happened so far this season is you know in some way indicative of what's to come in this season. But it is quite interesting to just look at FPL points scored across the league and kind of just see how defenders have done so far. So there's actually a very few players in the league right now have scored 30 plus points. Of those, though, 
Six of them are defenders, seven of them are midfielders, and just one forward has got more than 30 points so far this season. That's, of course, Antonio. And you know, what does that say? It kind of tells us that, you know, dependable points so far this season have come out of defense, even if it hasn't come, um, they haven't come in a necessarily in a very explosive manner. Whereas forwards, who I think we've given an awful lot of time and thought to, have been generally disappointing. Now, of course, these points ideas are kind of skewed because the likes of Ronaldo, for example, haven't quite got to 30 points yet because he came in late. You could say the same for Lukaku. But broadly, I think it is quite interesting to see just how dependably defenders have uh, been getting into points. When you think about this, you know, what is now the 30 points club so far, those six defenders, four of those are premium. So they're exactly the type of players that we'd be looking at. Diaz, DAA, Virgil van Dijk and Cancelo. Uh, and TAA, noteworthy, I guess, is that he's in this 30-point club in spite of the fact that he didn't play one of the games, which is not the same for all the rest of them. All the rest of that kind of you know, top bracket have played all of the games so far, if not all of the minutes. Alonso is, of course, the top-scoring defender, though. The question with him, of course, for all of us is, is he too good to be dropped? Or is he just making good <laughs> use of time where Chilwell has been injured? And whilst at the end of the day... He has been good from an FPL perspective. We've seen before that Tuchel doesn't necessarily trust him in big games. Didn't He wasn't favoured last season, um, all the time at least. And it's kind of hard to know exactly what's going to happen with him, so he's not all that interesting. So you can maybe dig into these numbers a little bit more. It's quite interesting to me as well that three of the top five defenders haven't scored. So they haven't necessarily got their powered by just a goal that just happened to occur in the first few weeks. Diaz, TA, and Virgil van Dijk are uh, those ones. And none of the top scoring defenders right now have more than two goal involvements. Just Alonso, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Shane Duffy, uh, Cresswell, and uh, you know, a few, a few. They're the only ones really have who have two goal involvements that are worth talking about in that third, you know, in that kind of top twenty uh, defenders. And that's kind of all those top twenty defenders are kind of twenty-one points and, and more. Christensen and Henry from Brentford are kind of your bottom of this bracket, kind of following upwards from there. Uh, only one defender right now has an XA of over 1.0 and I guess this is indicative of a player you can trust all the way and no surprise that's Trent Alexander-Arnold and his uh, his XA is closer to 2.5 so it just tells you just how much better he is creatively than literally any defender in the league and again he didn't play one game TA is also top bonus points for defenders and then it's kind of just that elite domination I guess when you look at the top 20 so many of them come from top clubs and then there's Brentford (laughs) <laughs> and it's like yeah. after that it's kind of interesting there's, a, there's a, a smattering of other guys in there but it is just so interesting for me to see that defensive points have been so predictably good so far and you know we talk about the importance of defense here as a foundation to act from but like it's actually been powering teams who invested well in defense and just stuck with them um, in these early weeks but I guess for all of us for most of us anyway those have been lost points so far so it's quite interesting to see uh, to your right to your right no I think it's um, definitely fascinating to see how, how that's all sort of unfolded um, and I in the year in years past, uh, Nick and I were obviously extolling the virtues of big at the back. Um, and it's fascinating this year it's actually come. And ironically, Nick's not on the pod anymore to go on about how he got went on about big at the back in the past. Ah, I love it. Um it's tough. <laughs> it's tough, it really is. And um, I, I think that we're also gonna have to just call a quick exemption on TAA here. I think we just I'm just gonna assume I mean, I'm sure you'll get him at some point, but we've spoken about him so much on this podcast that I think we're just not worth bringing him in again. We know how great he is. Not worth it. But elsewhere, I mean, you just moved us on there, Anthony, a little bit towards kind of thinking about teams with investable defences. So we'll, we'll talk about kind of players, individuals in just a bit. Um, but in terms of teams, I guess, you know, as you said, there's Man City, uh, there's Chelsea, and then you kind of end up looking at Brentford and thinking, wow, what's going on here? And um, Morpheus Fire asked if doubling up on both Man City and Chelsea defences are worth it from game week eight. I think Chelsea in, in particular have gotten a lot of interest recently. 
I think I might well be looking at double Chelsea from then at the back um, under Tushel, um, 24 clean sheets, 18 goals conceded. So they've kept more clean sheets than goals have actually conceded. And five of those goals came against West Brom of all teams. Amazingly. Um, fourth best expected clean sheets this season, uh, just a shade ahead of Liverpool. No non-penalty goals conceded, just that Salah pen, um, but 4.68 worth of chances in terms of non-pen goals conceded. Um, so an element of luck, perhaps, about Chelsea. Uh, but nonetheless, um, they have been, uh, for a demonstrable period now, fairly solid um, under the new German manager. Um, so, yeah, what do you think about Chelsea? I'm guessing they're kind of high up the list of investability. And I've got Christensen. Do you have anyone you're looking to make any moves there? That was an interesting question. If, if I were to double up on one of Chelsea or City, difference, I would probably double up on Chelsea because Chukel uh, 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 operates more in, in a stable stable fashion than Pep. I think Pep uh, might change the back line too much uh, for our liking and it, it doesn't go well really uh, most of the time. But uh, the defensive stability is there in terms of uh, Chelsea's defence, of course. Uh, the main one that's nailed on is uh, Rudiger. Of course, Rudiger and Lukaku are the only ones at, at the moment who are uh, rotation proof in Chukil's lineup. Uh, the other one that's really interesting in my eyes is Reese James. Of course, he missed out this week, but I think Chukil prefers him uh, in the uh, games that uh, that are easier, uh, easier, for, uh, easier in terms of uh, defensive end. He goes, he stays higher up the pitch and starts. Uh, crossing in the ball more to Lukaku to to his liking because Lukaku is someone who really likes uh, the ball being crossed to him. So uh, it's kind of gamble uh, to have uh, Reese James all through. But with the fixtures turning, I feel he's going to start a vast majority of the games. And coming back uh, with Alonso as an assert, I still feel uh, Chilwell was preferred a lot uh, in the bigger games. And if Aspie is preferred over uh, Reese James in bigger games. I think the same principle goes with uh, uh, Chilwell being preferred over Alonso, at least in the bigger games. So I think if if, if I had to pick two uh, two Chelsea defenders, it should be Rudiger first and uh, Reese James second. Sorry, if you had a choice here, would you look to double up on one of the City or Chelsea defenses, or would you just split yourself and get one from each? I'm more inclined to doubling up on Chelsea's defense. I'm I'm pretty not mm-hmm. sure. If, uh, I you see. Cancel has started all five games, he's played all, all of the minutes, but uh, I for sure know for a fact that if I bring him in, then I think that's, that's, that's not going to go. Uh, <laughs> Zinchenko will start straight away. Mm-hmm. And uh, Walker too hasn't been on his, his, his level best over the years, uh, over the last few uh, games. And uh, Laporte missing out and RK coming in, so it doesn't give me confidence of having Diaz as well. So I might as well double up on uh, two of the Chelsea guys. And, uh, yeah. I prefer to do that. That's what my thinking is. So, I mean, we'll come on to the players in just a bit because obviously we've got quite a lot to go into there. But on a team level, Man City are obviously the one to really bring up. I mean, everyone is looking at Chelsea for obvious reasons. I mean, uh, one of our friends who I mentioned later on, FPL Janino, he had Christensen and Rudiger. So, he got 20 points coming in in the last kind of 20 seconds, sneaky man. Um, but Man City, th- their defence indisputably the best in the land. Maybe Chelsea has something to say about that. But records-wise, um, just 31 shots conceded so far this season. That's 11 fewer than the nearest club. Wolves, shockingly. Um, 19 conceded in the box. Two big chances conceded and five shots on targets conceded so far. So one shot on target conceded per game, which is just absolutely crazy. So last week, they've averaged 19 clean sheets a season uh, in over the last three years. There was that silly period last season between game week 11 and 21, but they kept nine clean sheets in 11 games. And I think that that's probably going to happen soon. 
I was, I mean, they've already started doing it, to be fair. Um, but they've got a couple of tough games against Chelsea and Liverpool, which may kind of make you think, hmm, maybe not. Um, but equally, um, I think that they are a really interesting case just because of the goalkeeper situation. Like Anthony said at the first pod, I think, this year, that Edison was their highest scoring player and might as well treat him as a, as a defender. And Dread FPL asked that as well. Is there merit in the goalkeeper instead? So he said, you know, is the premium goalkeeper actually the real silent assassin differential this year? I mean, I was looking at this before we came on the pod and I was just like, maybe I could just buy Edison because I can afford to do it. I can oh, my word. Did you turn? But I'm, I'm not sure I'll do it. But I'm just putting it out there because of how good City's defence are. And if we are saying about investments, then maybe that's one worth floating. I'll jump in on you on this, Tom, because like the thing what's interesting about it, yes, you, you did know that Edison did outscore all the City defenders last season. So he's, it's definitely not an option to be scoffed at, as uh, some may have done in preseason. And what he does is that he, he it insulates. <laughs> what it does is it insulates against Pep Roulette in a way that even a Diaz can't do. And the issue in previous years, perhaps, was that you might have wanted to try and triple up on City it feels less likely that that's going to occur this season. Not necessarily because City are poor or because they haven't performed as well as we'd want so far, but because there's just so many other big names that we might want to get that our budget is going to be so stretched that it just doesn't feel like you're going to need that City triple up. There's an awful lot of teams that are operating right now with no City players. Very few, I would say, have two City players. And I I can't imagine anyone who's looking to get a third in right now. So it kind of feels like getting Ederson in. So it's, it's your way to get into that City defence without having a problem. You can get into the Chelsea defence with a little bit more history. You know, it's less unpredictable, at least, with Tuchel. It allows us to buy in with a little bit more confidence in a Rudiger-type character or indeed one of the other wing-backs if you really want to yeah, yeah. Uh, roll the dice a little bit. Yeah. I think there definitely is a case for Edison, that's for sure. So we'll go back later on because we've got a question on goalkeepers. A couple of other teams just mentioned here quickly. Um, so obviously Wolves. Wow. Um they conceded the same number of big chances in one game as between games one and four, when they had much harder opposition to play against on paper. They simply couldn't handle Tony, could they? Um, and, uh, I mean, Surya, do you think it was a false positive from, in those first four games? Do you think Wolves kind of showed that their kind of true level against Brentford, or do you think that they had a bit of a blip? I mean, what do you make of the Wolves' defence so far? Because everybody was talking about how their defenders, you know, people were doubling up left, right and centre, and Martial, Semedo... Um, what's your view on them? Yeah, I think uh, there's two sides to this coin. As in, uh, of course, the numbers were really great, and in, in fact, it wasn't against uh, easier oppositions. It was against uh, really good uh, uh, teams, and uh, that made people move to a lot of those defenders in game week four, and then that proceeded into game week five as well. Uh, but then I felt Wolves were a little more attacking, a little more loose at the back, uh, trying to attack more against uh, Brentford. I think they probably uh, tried to undervalue Brentford as an attacking unit. So that I, I felt that that's what uh, happened. I think uh, uh, they really mm-hmm. undermined uh, Brentford as an attacking team and uh, they paid the price for it. I, I think it was a repeat of game week one against uh, Arsenal. didn't really expect uh, Brentford to, to be so stable at the back and try to uh, hit them whenever they had the chance. And that's what preceded against Wolves too. I think uh, the lesson would have been learned because uh, they know they fairly know how to defend. Because if if not, that's the case. They couldn't have uh, uh, considered just three goals against uh, some three amazing oppositions in the first three games, and then uh, keep a clean sheet game before. So I think it should have been a one-off. So I think they should be back uh, to, to to their to their defensive stability. I'm not assuring that it it will translate into a lot of clean sheets and attacking returns, but still, yeah, yeah. I think it is one-off. 
it's interesting. I've kind of looked into this Wolves thing a little bit too. And I guess I was beating the drum for Cody after the first three games and kind of continue to still do. I guess I follow that up and put him into my wildcard team. And I, I think I'm I'm not panicked by one result. I think these things happen, I guess, is the uh, easy way to write it off. And I feel like I can. Uh, number one with that Wolves defence, they do seem to keep playing the same defence. We've had that Simido, Kilman, Cody, Sice, Martial, uh, five-man defence slash three-man defence with two wing-backs, whatever you want to call it, uh, pretty consistently there up till now. I suspect that won't necessarily stay the same and I'd be quite concerned as a Martial owner because he just kind of has that ready-made replacement there um, who's mm. got back his fitness. But at the same time, I kind of feel like this particular game, yeah, Tony was a problem, as you noted, Tom. Uh, they were just in disarray after they went behind and I think an awful lot of their numbers look poor because of like this, obviously it was a fairly short period where where, where both of the goals were conceded, but like there was an awful lot of chances conceded in this very short period of time. And it was just kind of Tony just yeah. had this good run and just kind of really got going. He had two well-taken goals that were ruled out for offside as well, just to kind of add to um, kind of just how well he was doing. And even, you know, the, the first goal, like it was a really silly penalty to give away. The second one, Kilman, you know, in another world probably would have made that tackle on Tony. It just wasn't their day and it went wrong. One thing I would say about what Surya said about how those early results were against good teams, I think we can maybe be a little bit revisionist about how promising those results were when we really think back to it. Like the, you know, the, the Leicester game, like Leicester haven't actually proven to be all that good in attack at all so far this season. Spurs, ditto. So albeit they didn't get clean sheets in those games, they gave us hope. I think now you're kind of thinking, really? You're with a few, like, okay, Leicester and Spurs haven't exactly been prolific and they conceded to them. So it's not... It's not as promising as we thought it was, I guess, is what I would say. It's not putting me off. Um, but overall, I think that Wolves defence is not something you should be panicked about. They have a good fixture run coming up. You bought them because you thought you, they might get, let's say, two clean sheets in five. And, you know, you didn't really care who those two clean sheets were going to come against. And the fact that they didn't come against newly promoted Brentford, who have been surprisingly good so far this season by, you know, any metric you look at, um, shouldn't necessarily make you fear. Yeah, maybe it rubs up against the idea of investment, doesn't it, at the back? Yes. And thinking, you know what, actually, the investment that I'm making here isn't you know, a short-term one, it's a long-term one. And I think that that's probably what um, has... Uh, it is what that kind of pushes at. People kind of think, oh, I've made a mistake with the Wolves' defence. Well, maybe you have. Um, we, we can't be making too many assertions at the beginning, but... You know, um, things could change. And you mentioned Brentford there, a second from bottom for actually you can see the next bet to clean sheets. What's going on? We don't know. The goalkeeper, perhaps, he's got one of the highest save percentages in terms of shots on target this season. None of their defenders actually has attempts a shot on target so far. None of them. They've not paid any of the top seven from last season yet. So maybe a bit of a perfect storm. Uh, but keeping with Wolves and uh, moving into Brighton as well, a rookie FPL says they're kind of both quite hot and cold, you know? So if you had to invest in one, who would it be? Updating priors-wise, a term beloved of Analytics FC, Brighton last season were at defensively in the elite. Third fewest expected goals conceded, the third least big chance conceded, the third fewest shots on target conceded. You name it, ridiculously good defensive data. But only Duncan Veltman managed over 100 points with 12 and 10 clean sheets, respectively. That consistency of clean sheets wasn't quite there. And what's really interesting is to mention your man Duffy uh, here, Anthony. I'm going to mention him again later in the correspondence uh, because, well, um, so last season, uh, to, to take one measure of defensive, uh, well, I mean, obviously I want to play out from the back and Duffy's an old school defender but it's just amazing to see that Duffy's fourth for baseline bonus and defenders and this is why last season Dunk averaged 3.15 clearances and 0.61 blocks per game last year 
Duffy this season has managed 5.8 clearances per game, 1.2 blocks per game. He's just looking underpriced, isn't he? And as we didn't think he'd start the season, he seems pretty nailed in now. So the 4.3 looks pretty crazy. And also he's had the most shots and bots of any defender apart from Van Dyke. Um, which is just just mad. Um, I guess we're getting onto the single kind of uh, defenders in themselves at the moment. We've kind of long known that there's a bit of a broad kind of split in, the, in typology of defenders. So I think there's two distinct types. There's the attack man defenders and there's defensive stalwarts. Repeating my really good tip from a few weeks ago, I wish I followed up on that and think of Christensen. Um, expected minutes is becoming more and more emphasised in defenders, but the exoticism of that attack man defender is always going to turn people's heads. I'm not too sure there's a middle ground. Maybe there's one that I'm going to put forward in a little bit, but I don't think you have too many attacking centre-backs um, who are going to be ripping it up and getting assists and goals all over the place. Maybe if Sheffield United had stayed up and perfected the overlapping centre-backs, we might have the hybrid. Um, a few options here. Um, let's leave out the 4.5s if we've got correspondence on that. But let's have a quick powwow on some of these lads, especially if we haven't accommodated a fixture shift. So in terms of the attack mind defenders, I guess, um, we mentioned Alonso earlier on. Second for shots overall for months defenders, most shots on target. Anthony mentioned all these stats already. Fur for BPS, crucially started all the games, assist Lonzo last game. I mean, Anthony, should we be looking at Lonzo again? Um, is he one of those that we're just kind of overlooking because we're worried about Chilwell? I mean, he started the last few games. He looked very good against Spurs. Like, are you very surprised if uh, he does get dumped by the new German manager? I think I would be surprised if he got dumped. But the problem is, is, I guess, you've talked about investments. I don't necessarily, if I bring someone like him in, I really don't want him to become a problem or I don't want to miss out on points against teams that you'd expect him to get a clean sheet against because that's the game that Tuchel decides to give Chilwell a run out in to try and build up his fitness. Like They, they need two left-backs as the season goes on. They can't continue to just leave him out in the cold. Chelsea especially have, you know, some difficult Champions League games coming up. Like they have two games against Juventus coming up in, a, you know, before I think it was like game week 11 or game week 12. Like they really have to kind of make sure that they have their best team, whatever Tuchel thinks that is, available for those games. And, you know, that may mean resting um, certain players and Alonso may be one of those. And so just when there is what seems to be a much clearer, safer option in there in Rudiger, it just feels to me like there's no point trying to, you know, cut your cloth that little bit tighter and getting somebody like Christensen, because we've seen what can happen with that. And there's no point kind of taking risks beyond what we might want to do as well and getting in an Alonso or a James. It just feels like Rudiger kind of just fits in happily there at that 5.5 and you can just, you will probably get burnt at some point. He will eventually sit out because they do have a number of good centre-back options there. But at the same time, Rudiger kind of provides this presence on the ball and this ability that not all of the Chelsea defenders have, I think. And so I think with that in mind and just his just general solidity and importance to that team means that I feel like he's just that bit safer than most, which makes me just prefer to have him as much as I love Alonso. And it was an FPL aspect and he has been very good for season after season when he's had a chance in that team. I think um, one question, I think so you brought this up earlier on, um, was a question but from Nilot Palam Tiwari, who asked about Shaw, um, is it time to sell him on? So he's second for XA, most crosses made, more than Trent, and positioning is excellent. A lot of his attempted chances now are passes rather than uh, crosses. Um, but I mean, you're both United fans. Anthony has long been a skeptic of Shaw, um, whereas Surya, where have you stood on Shaw, Surya? Was he one that you always thought was was going to come to the fore this season? I started the season, uh, especially after the run that we had in the Euros. I, I genuinely felt that uh, 
uh, Shaw was the season keeper, but then uh, it didn't really work out as him. Uh, United still keep making those same defensive one or two defensive errors that leads to goals. Uh, that is, these all three goals that United can see that that's that that really kills the clean sheet potential, and he's not again up to there in terms of uh, attacking returns. Of course, uh, the stats I might I feel is slightly skewed as well because he he's he's there in a lot of corners and those. Those those go into half chances and and as a United fan I shouldn't be biased but I don't see him uh, being a, a big difference or uh, yeah genuinely I went with him just to make sure I don't fall behind you at the very very beginning of the season because it was quite scary he had around close to sixty percent of ownership and it is yeah. not trans yeah. at all uh, but having said that the next two games are kind of gives hope in terms of something uh, as a parting gift from uh, uh, Shaw, I, I would say. So, maybe I would hold for another two weeks. I think they play Aston Villa and then Everton, Everton, Everton are again uh, kind of here and there. So, I think beyond game week seven, I don't see holding Shaw to be a major thing. Yeah, this is it. I think these are actually the two game weeks that I might even be fearful, um, having had no show since game week one. Never wanted him, never thought he was going to be good. I'm very delighted with how it's gone so far. It's not surprising to me at all. United don't play with any like defensive midfielders. There's no cover for that defense. Always trying to put too many players into attack. It's it's great. It's fun to watch when it works. But, you know, this kind of, how does it work between, how do you get the ball from defense to attack? You just give it to Bruno, you give it to Shaw, and then magical things occur. And then somebody gets the ball in the final third. And like that means then if they get attacked with a counter-attack, it's a disaster. And like the Newcastle game is a perfect example of it. Even what happened against young boys because they kept Ronaldo on the pitch and just allowed them to be continually slaughtered um, as was a good example of it. It's just it's gonna keep going, it's gonna keep happening. And as you say, Surya, the thing is, is that while Shaw does get forward, and sure, you know, he's on the ball a lot, and sure he played good for England a few times, but the fact of the matter is, is that he just doesn't create enough high quality chances to make him an essential. Like he's not someone who creates like uh, Robertson or TAA or even Cancelo level of chances in terms of their quality a lot of them are just you know basically fake chances created through corners and stuff and it's just like you know it's lottery stuff every single time he just happens to buy an awful lot of tickets to the lottery and so it will come off right occasionally watch him get two assists this weekend a clean sheet in a 16 point haul or something after I've said this but it is just a little bit frustrating to have him and I can kind of see why you wouldn't I'd much rather have him I think I'll advance us on with this someone like a Cancelo character mm. in my team and it's like okay Cancelo offers uh, all of that attacking threat, except the numbers are kind of more, you know, they're, they're higher value lottery tickets that you buy with Cancelo. <laughs> and the thing is as well, he actually has a better defense there that, you know, operates in a system and it means that it just tends to work out a little bit better. And it's like, sure, Cancelo might not play two games in 10, but at least you kind of, um, at least you have a wilder ride where you might have some good returns or you could just go for, and I would probably prefer the more defensive stalwart type character in that city defense, a Diaz, not necessarily a Laporte because of the whole entire Laporte Stones uh, psychodrama that seems to be continuing to play out there with Pep. Uh, I just would rather avoid that and stick to Diaz uh, because of that. But Cancelo, for me, far better than Shaw as an FPL prospect. Uh, I agree with that. Um, I'd, uh, one of the fun things that I found in my stats uh, look up for this, I mean, we are five game weeks in, so we'll start to do this a little bit more. Um, but Cancelo is the most unlucky defender so far this season in terms of expected goal involvement. Um, minus 1.18 XGI, he's short. Equal XA per game with Robertson. 
as you mentioned, there is a Zinchenko factor where there could be a little bit of rotation. Um, but one thing I did notice is that he's also got ridiculous bonus monster potential. So this year, um, he's tracking a little bit differently than he was last year. He's actually had so far the most successful passes in the opposition half and the final third of any player thus far this season. Uh, so if we do keep a clean sheet, he does do any, have any sort of goal involvement. I think that he could be well up there in terms of the bonus. So I really like the idea of going with Pancello, that's for sure. Yeah, a small point to add maybe on that time before you move us on is that he is also the top in terms of just expected points for defenders so far this season. If you look on the um, fantasy football hubs uh, tables there, they have him as highest there with 30.3. He's the only defender actually who would have expected to have over 30 points so far this season, despite the fact that there is, as I said, a half dozen who've actually made it there. (laughs) Yeah, fair play. Um, Any, so yeah, any um, other members of this attack-minded defender clan that have come to... Uh, come to mind for you as being of worth interest, worth mentioning here? I don't really think we we, we lost our options uh, here. As in, we do have a couple of players like Sufal who's, who's really attacking, but then uh, the West Ham defence doesn't call for stability that uh, uh, we really see them as an FPL asset. I, I saw Anthony have him in his team, have Sufal in his team yet. Uh, I don't think... Uh, uh, he's fairly uh, happy with him and his team, uh, to be fair. Uh, but that's the case. Uh, we, we used to have uh, Eiling and Dallas last season. Our leads are again in misery this season. Uh, yeah, Semedo, Semedo calls for an uh, interesting case. Uh, he did have all of these good attacking numbers. And of course, his, uh, his last season numbers, per 90 numbers, have improved drastically this season. And he's kind of showing what the talent he, uh, he actually has in him. Uh, but then, it, it do they really match the premium ones? I don't think so. Uh, earlier, we used to have uh, Dallas was actually matching the premium. Uh, uh, actually, he went on to be the most scoring defender last season. So we we don't uh, this season there is kind of a gap between the premium defenders and the defenders from the from the rest of the four teams. Uh, uh, Tierney could be a long shot, long long shot. Uh, <laughs> wow, yeah. have we have we redescended to choosing Arsenal defenders? Sorry, I just like just like proving Arsenal. Fine. That's worth doing. I mean, if he doesn't get injured, sir, I, I can see where you're coming yeah. from. He'd be the one that I depicts as well. Yeah, and, and maybe uh, I have Ben White in my team, and I'm fairly comfortable having him rather than uh, Karen Cheney because Cheney, I think it, it was one of the blank game weeks last season. He went on to do two assists, he got a 15 point haul in uh, game week mm-hmm. eight, and a lot was spoken on him. And I think that's the last thing he made a major FPL impact. So he's too much of an uncertain, uh, too much of an uncertainty to be considered as an FPL asset. So uh, that, that's the reason I don't see any more of uh, attacking minded. Uh, assets that are from a stable team uh, giving consistent points. That Tierney Hall is a it's a classic of an availability heuristic, isn't it, Tom? That you know, it's just, we, we all think of that. Oh, Tierney's good in attack because that, that one time I, I had Rob Holden that week who assisted Tierney, <laughs> so I got my eleven <laughs> points. So I was very happy with that. And I, I think that you're, you're both right. And I think that attacking mind defenders is definitely one of those. It always catches the eye. And you got lots of Regulon, you have got lots of Crespo. We haven't mentioned Luca Dean as well. Some podcaster um, tipped him at the start of the season as being well worth your while. No, I'm hoping no one remembers that. Yeah, that. That same podcaster is now laughing at the owners who still have them. But yeah, yeah, I, I did yeah. at one point. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, but I think the defensive stalwarts 
which I also have said this 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 season may be worth looking at, um, are definitely worth mentioning. Just the general point, I mean, you know, these are the players like Rudiger, like Christensen, Diaz, Laporte, whatever. They're slightly less sexy, they're slightly less valued than the lads on the flanks, but their expected minutes are superior over the course of the season. But actually, the gold threat from central defenders is actually better than the wing-backs. So Van Dijk has got more shots than other, any other defender apart from Duffy, for example. And last year's top 10 for XG amongst defenders, at seven were centre-backs. Um, Trent and Chilwell were actually in the top two, though. All in all, you're looking at a smaller ceiling, of course, like the 10 plus Rudiger Hall. That's really rare. You know, the 15 pointer, and that's a kind of, you know, dreamland territory. And stone explosions are kind of, you know, once in a lifetime sorts of things. And normally your ceiling is six, seven points. Um, but if we're looking at long term investment rather than a boom and bust sort of character, these sort of guys, the Rudigers, the Van Dykes, um, the Diaz's of this world are the players who got the expected minutes, demonstrably trusted by their managers to be that man in the field are worth mentioning. Earlier on, there's not too many hybrids in terms of being an attack-minded player as well as a defensive stalwart. Uh, for six million, I think there is one. That's Chelsea captain Aspilicueta. Um, so he played win-back against Spurs, the surprise no-show for James. Um, trusts in those games perhaps to play that sort of role, but normally kind of in the free at the back like was on the Conte. And since uh, the German manager has joined Chelsea, Aspilicueta has played more minutes than any other player. And what's interesting about Aspilicueta is that versatility. Um, so in attacking sense, um, last season, he actually created the third most chances for Chelsea. Um, and he still sits decently in the in the BPS. I mean, he always used to say, you know, he comes onto the pitch with a, with a bonus point in hand. Could he be phased out finally? I, we don't know. But I mean, him and Rudiger are both kind of, you know, engaged in contract chats at the moment. He's 0.5 million more than Rudiger, so you can see why you go for Rudiger. But Baspilicueta, one of those sort of captains on the field or one of those kind of coaches on the field, could be one that I mentioned there as being one who would intersect that sort of defensive stalwart and attack-minded defender um, sort of divide. Um, what do you guys think about these sort of stalwarts? I'm a little bit boring, um, but equally, I'm guessing the likes of Diaz is high up your list in terms of buying him. I think when you own these kind of defensive stalwarts uh, for a long, for a long period of time, they do really match the attacking returns of the fullbacks, the flashy, flashy ones. Uh, take for instance, Louis Dunk as an example. Uh, and he does his job. He he gets those uh, five, six header goals right through the season. That, that's the same thing that I played with Rudiger. No one expected him to score against first, but then you have him mainly as a defensive cover. Get those six, seven clinky points in your bag. And that attacking goal or that rare attacking assist, maybe from, from Luke or Connor or something, that will also eventually happen. Uh, this bodes well for managers who uh, want to have them for a prolonged period of time and not... Uh, hop on and off these uh, premium defensive assets. And that's the case of most of the managers who actually look to go big at the back. So you tend to invest more and tend to uh, give them the confidence of having them in your team. So you you might not know which team they will score, but probably they'll eventually end up matching uh, matching what these fullbacks give. Of course, it's not pleasing on the eye, but then uh, you don't have to be pleasing to get FPL points. So I think they do the job uh, in my eyes. And uh, yeah, and Aspie is, is a great show. He's the club captain. Uh, he seems to be the wing back in the bigger games, and he seems to be uh, shifting between Christensen for that uh, right centre back spot uh, in 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 games against bigger opposition. So. Uh, but then, having said the case, point five cheaper Rudiger, I would definitely go Rudiger. Uh, that that's my thought process. Yeah. 
Actually, it's interesting you say that, Syria, because you're you're kind of actually coming at this from the same angle I am. I think there's an awful lot to be said for these defensive stalwarts over the course of a season-long projection. The only exception to that, really, um, and I hate to mention him because we were barred, but is Trent Alexander-Arnold. But aside from that, I do feel like your defensive stalwarts should be able to uh, match them. And I think that's a distinguishing factor this season more than ever, is that we do have three teams who I think it's reasonable to suggest could get between 17 and 20 clean sheets, for example. You know, so in and around a clean sheet every other game. And we've seen in previous seasons that when you have a defender, a centre-back, for example, who plays every single week in a team that does gets that many clean sheets, who's good for bonuses and who will pop up with the odd goal and probably fluke the odd assist because they headed the ball the wrong direction, uh, things will go in their favour. And like a classic example of that is Virgil van Dijk, who is a former 200 club member, a 200 club alum, if you will, um, from a few years ago. And he followed that up with 178 points in the season Liverpool won the title 2019-20. And of course, that was the COVID season. They weren't particularly good in Project Restart because they pretty much had the league wrapped up. Would he have been on a 200 club member again if they'd been just continuing their momentum? Perhaps. He's a good example of what may happen this year with your Diaz, who didn't get anywhere near that last year, but you know, could um, just add to it. But there's nothing to say that you know a few more clean sheets going City's way, um, him getting a few more goals, which he is, I, I stand by, capable of getting. And... Um, and then you could say the same for Rudiger, who has proven himself already this season and even last year under Tuchel to be a goal threat who will pick up clean sheets. Uh, the way that Chelsea play their three-man defence means that there's kind of one kind of like anchor defender in there. It tends to be either Christensen or uh, Silva. And the likes of Aspie, the likes of uh, Rudiger are allowed to kind of get forward that little bit more, but maybe pass forward that little bit more. They're relied upon to be that little bit more creative it may return one or two assists in the season. It's not a big number, but it's just a little bit that just helps them to tick towards, uh, you know, it gets them another yeah, three points, obviously, for the assist, gives them a chance of getting bonuses. It might be another five. And this is kind of, you know, the difference um, that makes a 200 club member. And I think this season we may have um, to, let's say, centre-backs make it to the 200 club or be in and around it. That means that they are, are a particularly good pick. And as you say, Surya, it isn't going to come in a sexy way. It's not going to come with big explosive returns. It's going to be six yeah, after six yeah. after six with a few eights and a few and a freak 11, 12, 15 tossed in that'll power them there. But they will keep up with most of those kind of attack-minded defenders with the exception of Trent, as I said, and perhaps Cancelo if he actually got consistent game time. because He's not as good as Trent, but he does threaten to go nuclear in a way that most defenders don't. Yeah, slightly better defence as well um, than Liverpool. Um, so closing thoughts, I guess, where should we invest in the back? Anthony Soliloquy there, I think was a nice way of kind of bringing us back to that kind of central question. Where should we invest the back? I mean, obviously people are going to say to us, you know, you're scarred a little bit from the weeks that, that's just gone. You know, centre-back's done well, that's a Rudiger. I mean, a little. But we've got evidence in audio format, in, in audio format that a few weeks ago we were talking about this as well, about the expected minutes for centre-backs being well worth looking at. Trent's not looking anywhere. Trent's not going anywhere. We've spoken about this already. And Mins is key. Um, but maybe we are transitioning towards getting close to what Morpheus Fire mentioned about having a double Chelsea, a double Man City kind of defence. I don't think we'd go that far by the sounds of it. It feels like it would be something moderated around maybe having three of the four. But I guess for me, the key is something investable has to have long-term value. Um, I still kind of default to that sort of buy and hold strategy defensively. And I want to follow that up in the next moves I make at the back. But from the discussion we've had just now, it sounds like we're all sort of pulling in the direction of centre-backs actually being really interesting for that sort of semblance of long-term sustainability and the investment we make. And I think that that 
maybe is a little, a little bit new because I, th- I think later on in the year around Christmas time you know we start to kind of say all oh, the sense bats will play every game around Christmas that's great but around now we're all kind of infatuated by those amazing sort of returns on offer potentially from the attack minded defenders so I think it's uh, maybe kind of a fascinating facet of this season that the sense backs are beginning to you know, catch our attention because of the fact that we've got those expected minutes. Maybe there's a hangover from COVID. We're a bit worried about, you know, having a, a shock no-show. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, do you think that you know, the centre-backs are here to stay as being interesting? I know they're so un- they're so unsexy, aren't they? But at the same time, they could be the cornerstone of our teams, couldn't they? Yeah, I think uh, you, you mentioned Christmas being a period where games come thick and through. And of course, there's going to be cases where Rudiger gets dropped. Diaz was benched a lot of times last season towards that uh, festive period of fixtures. But then that's still a long period of time to look ahead. So at least for the next 10 game weeks, uh, these guys are going to be there, going to play every single minute of uh, of the fixtures. So I kind of feel uh, aligned to preferring centre-backs, stable centre-backs for these premium teams to do their job in the next till game week 18 or so. I think that's that's when it, uh, the second wild card comes into the picture. That's when the fixtures also uh, become more congested with the FA Cup also coming into play. Yeah. Maybe to conclude, I'll take us in a slightly different direction. And I've just looked at what you would need to do to try and put together a team if you wanted to fit in the, let's say, the big defenders we've talked about and others. So it's like, talk about, let's say, getting in Rudiger, Diaz and Trent, and then trying to work that with the threemium of Salah, Lukaku and Ronaldo. And I'm working this now on the values that I've bought in players, which aren't necessarily the same as what you did or what you might have or whatever, but we'll just work with it. It allows you, as far as I can see, if you're operating with an 8.5 uh, goalkeeper setup, whatever that might be, uh, you have 36.1 to split between the final uh, seven berths in your squad. That basically allows you six 5.0s and a 5.5. It feels a little bit too tight uh, to me uh, in terms of building a balanced squad. So if really, if you want to go big in defense, I feel like you need to compromise on the premium and go with just two of those premiums, the two of Salah, Lukaku and Ronaldo or whoever else you want to toss into that bracket. And I guess that is actually the debate that kind of brings together quite a lot of the pods that we've done so far this season, because that is really the, the crux of the issue, I think, that all of us are trying to grapple with when we look at whether these big defenders or big at the back is worth doing. It really does mean compromising on your premiums and how brave you are to do that and whether you can cover those players or whatever. And I guess what we concluded in previous weeks was you probably can't cover the premium and that's why they are the premium. And so do you then have to try and go without one of those big defences, uh, for example? Cool. Yeah, that's really interesting to talk about. Right, let's take a break there and move on to the correspondence and questions to start with this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? All right, so we're back and it's the correspondence section. Um, we've had quite a few actually that have come in uh, really recently, so we're well stopped for a little while. Nonetheless, uh, Anthony's always willing to take questions, queries, songs, poems, statements of love, whatever you want to send. We're here for the moment, Anthony. Yeah, exactly. You can send all of those to whogottheassist at gmail.com or by other means of contacting us on Twitter DMs or whatever it might be, if that is the more suitable way of getting your message, whatever that may be, to us. Uh, but yeah, Rick Martin has, uh, is this week's uh, corresponder. And he sent us an email to, as I said, whogottheassist at gmail.com. And he's actually, since he sent this email, made an FPL account. So we might as well shout it out since he's a new one. It's at FPL underscore Ricky Martin. And um, his email was... Uh, very much looking at 4.5 million defenders and went thusly. 
So guys, your pod has been appointment listening for the past couple of seasons and I never miss an episode. However, I do think it's time you gave something back to me in return for my loyal listening. So this email came from nine days ago and he was looking at the time at downgrading Christensen to a 4.5. So we're going to go with that. He noted how good Chelsea's defence was, but he felt he needed to get a 4.5-ish candidate in to get the premium setup actually well into his side. He actually has Alan as well, guys. So good. Uh, anyway, he had narrowed his 4.5 choice down to Marshall and uh, Ailing because of their early season returns and their good fixtures. And he was asking us basically who we would go with in that 4.5 bracket. He ends with keep up the good work. Cheers. So, yes, Siri, I'll turn to you first if you want on this. Who are you looking at in this 4.5 bracket? We won't focus too much on Marcel and Ailing, and we'll just broadly attack the, the whole entire bracket because I feel like anyone who's shopping in the bracket isn't going to limit themselves to any two names. Yeah, I think Ailing uh, is definitely a no-go for me. And he's probably injured too, so uh, probably that rules Ailing out. And uh, the quotes that... Uh, uh, was pointed at Marcel was also not really convincing. He said, uh, I ignore he is really waiting on the wings uh, to take up. And Marcel didn't really put up a good performance there. So if it was a Wolves 4.5, I'd probably say Cody. Of course, it's a very, very dull, boring, uh, boring pick over there. And, and I might as well go and uh, play Livramento every every single week. I think he's, he's, he's playing he's playing good. Right? He's a cheap value. Uh, Duffy is another good option. Uh, 4.3. Fairly 4, 4 million months but I do feel they do a better job rather than the ones that are for per se uh, sitting at uh, 4.5 so I think these, these these are the pool of uh, players that I would consider. I guess at 4.5 you're looking for a sense of longevity um, I don't think that they're likely to constitute your 11 probably unless you're going for a freemium setup they're on the fringes as with Ricky Martin's question it's a player you're not really going to be relying on a lot, unless it's someone who's like massively, you know, undervalued or mispriced, like Lindstrom or something like that. For four point five, I'd be looking to find some sense of long-term investorship, as we've spoken about a couple of times. And um, my four point five was Cody. I think that I'm probably going to end up just keeping him because he's going to be sat, you know, first or second bench most weeks, and he's likely to come on and play. Um, I. I'm obviously a little bit burnt from last week in terms of getting that zero pointer from him against Brentford. Um, and I don't think I'm going to be playing him anytime soon. I think I'll be playing Christensen over him this week, for example, even though they've got Man City. But I guess value-wise, two come to mind. So Ailing, obviously, we've written off, and I think that's probably the right thing to do. I think at the start of the season, he was one we're all interested in, um, but Leeds' defensive solidity is you know, the same as uh, the cheesiest defensive solidity against the grill. Uh, absolutely nothing there going on. They've melted away. Duffy, as I mentioned earlier, is just ridiculous. So bossing the CBI, most shots in the box, fourth baseline BPS amongst defenders. Bat of a bang, um, really. Um, it's, it's quite good for the lad as well. It seems like he had a really tough year um, last year, and I think I'm sure we'll pick that up in just a minute. Um, I think it's between him and Livermento, funnily enough, because you're looking for value, you're looking for long-term investorship. Both those players are both below 4.5. Livermento from game week eight has a good run of fixtures since November, where he doesn't face any of the top eight teams. So it looks like he's nailed the spot. Um, both are looking great for savings all round at the moment. So they're doing the job of 4.5 million defenders, I mentioned earlier on, or just now actually, I'm looking for a player who's going to provide me value as well as having that sort of long-term longevity um, in their team. 
And I'd probably be looking at the Irishman Duffy right now. I mean, at the start of the season, no one thought that he would be coming into play. And I think it's been a bit of a perfect storm in terms of him with Veltman's COVID diagnosis as well as Webster not playing. And I guess maybe a bit of daring do in terms of Duffy that he's played his way back into that side. And now I think that it's very hard to see him losing his his place until everybody's back fit again. So um, I think it would be uh, my man Duffy um, here. No, you're man Duffy as well, Anthony, for different reasons. Yeah, it's it's been really nice to see Shane Duffy having as good of a start of the season as he's had. It's been uh, he did have a very tough year. His father passed away. He obviously had a bad or difficult loan move up in Scotland as well, which coincided with that death. And yeah, that's that's always going to be very tough for someone. And it's kind of I think it seems like uh, Graham Potter has really. Um, done his best to kind of build up his confidence and he's been very, very complimentary for about him in the press all the way through so far this season with his good start to the season. And as you say, yes, Tom, a perfect storm may have swept him into the side, but he's very much there as the stalwart ready to face any storm for that Brighton team uh, going forward. And it does seem like it's he's unlikely to lose his place, at least in the short term. And uh, long may that continue, I guess. And yeah, that Brighton defence is a pretty decent one to buy into. And I can totally see why you might want to, especially if, for example, you wanted to move away from Sanchez and goals. He is the good option there. And he's obviously a good way to save some money as well. Still at 4.3, he is a steal. Like you know, he is, He's such a goal threat that he kind of has this kind of uh, fixture-proof value, um, which is kind of unexpected for a 4.5-ish, in this case, 4.3 defender, which I think adds to his appeal. For me, I still feel like Cody is a decent option to have in there and I'm not too put up after one game. Like He he is no longer the, the meme that he was in previous years where he would yeah. never get forward. Like For example, he has had two shots in the box so far this season. Negligible XG. But because he's up for corners, he's in there in the lottery and you just feel like eventually something will come his way. And I do feel like that Wolves defence is grand for 4.5. I wouldn't like to be spending much more on a Wolves defender, but 4.5, perfect. Absolutely perfect. And the thing with Marcel, and maybe to just kind of really kind of go into him a little bit more, I just really fear his injury record. That's what I, I actually feel. In each of the last three seasons, he's missed at least a dozen games for his club. That's a lot of games to be missing. It's been in three injuries per season has effectively done it uh, every time. If you just go on to transfer market and look at his injury history, it's just there. It's, it's There's nothing truly dramatic in there. The, the, you know, the really bad, the only the worst injury he had was a calf strain back in like 2018, 19, where he seems to just consistently find something wrong with his body that just means he misses about a dozen games, as I say. And that is going to become a problem, especially with, as you say, Aitnori waiting there, um, ready to come into that side. Uh, the Brentford defenders, like it seems like they're not a joke at this point. They have three really tough fixtures coming up in Liverpool, West Ham and Chelsea. But kind of after that, again, things clean up for them. And you'd kind of feel like they have those expected stats and they have been able to back them up so far. Um, and that makes them pretty interesting. Uh, in the anyone else kind of bracket, maybe just to mop up this particular section, if you look at the algorithms, they'll point you towards, so in the case of Fantasy Football Fix, they are from game week 6 to 14 is what I picked. They have Wolves, Leeds, Southampton, Spurs, Chelsea in that order in terms of who has the best fixtures. And if you go on to Fantasy Football Hub, same time frame, so 6 to 14, they have Leeds, Leicester, Chelsea, Newcastle, Wolves, and then Southampton, who have just thrown in posterity there as the sixth best. So what you're looking at, I guess, there is Cody, uh, a Leeds defender, if you believe in Leeds, um, Good old Livramento is a pretty good decent option to have in there. And then you're kind of looking at a real kind of lottery pick beyond those in terms of fixtures alone. But as I say, I think Duffy does occupy this kind of oddly fixture-proof zone that means that he's a pretty good pickup. I think that does round off the correspondence section unless anybody has anything to add. No, not at all. 
So FPL Ricky Martin, he wrote into who got the assist at gmail.com by email, of course. Uh, but you can get in contact with us that way too, with your poems, your thoughts, your addendums, your questions, whatever it may be. We'll take it in the co- in the correspondence section and we will get to it as soon as we can. Right. Moving on to listen to questions proper. The first one this week's from the mid- midfield malaise. So this is the second sort of highest asked question um all things surrounding the midfield and what the hell is going on there james at james fpl1 sums up nicely midfield wtf who are the reliable starters slash returns outside of uh, salah he's got torres greenwood and traore um, and i think he's looking at rafinha for example but uh, where are the points coming he's saying for those mid-price midfielders does it all basically lend itself to the freemium model doing well after the jwa and he basically says you know torres keep or sell jota keep or sell traore keep or sell the same three Ooh, who do you replace them with a good friend of mine uh, fpl nila and um, he says you know should we keep jota for the next game and can we move him on yet and fpl point break andrew says all the popular seven plus mids have something become problems the agreement less involved with Ron the team Jota points dodging Firmino coming back for him torres rotated mount hooks in the 45 minute mark do we stick with these picks or use them as cash cows to upgrade to nailed defenders like Rudiger or Diaz? Hooray. So preempting again, we spoke about this week. Oh, oh Jota. Oh, dear me. Top underperformer again this week. 0.94. Um, he missed out on 0.89 minus over the course of the season. And actually, Sadio Mane's underperformed more than him in terms of SGI, but that was basically because of one game where he couldn't find back of the net. Um, has he busted his flush and um, with those two goals in game weeks one and two? Um, Torres obviously massively frustrating as well. I'm tempted to move him, him on. And Anthony called me harsh uh, by implication earlier on and um, to be looking at moving Torres on. I, I'm not sure I'll be doing that. I think the one player that I would really be interested in, I know we've got Demarai Gray at home against Norwich, and I know that perhaps um, Ducore, the Duke, uh, could play number 10 against Norwich, so that could be really interesting. But the one player I'm really interested in still is Conor Gallagher, um, or Gallagher, um, as I've been told to call him. Um, so he's sixth by 0.06 of an MPXG to Salah on that measure. So sixth. Place Crystal Palace. He's on corners and indirect free kicks, direct free kicks as well. Fourth for respect to gold involvement amongst midfielders. And fourth for respect to gold involvement overall, actually. Um, could be an anomaly, um, but that's really cool, actually, for a 5.6 mid- midfielder playing for Crystal Palace. And if I was looking to make a midfield move, either moving on Torres, which I might be, I think he would probably be where I'd go to. I mean, so yeah, what do you make about the midfield? I and mean, we've, we've mentioned them a few times, mentioned them in the uh, market forces and so on and so forth. But I mean, what do you think about all of these sort of players? Are they worth kind of persisting with? Or would you be kind of saying, you know what, get rid of them, it's the time now, um, and just to focus on other things? Yeah, I think Andrew actually makes a fair enough case. I think all of those popular 7 million plus uh, midfielders are kind of breaking. Renwood. Is slowly waning off, and I think Cavani is anytime expected soon back. Uh, Jota is again, again a lost cause. Uh, the only one that is seemed to be fairly consistently playing is Grealish, uh, and of course, but uh, uh, the appeal that he had at the beginning of the season is not there still yet, people. Uh, and as as uh, as I think Anthony pointed out, uh, this might be the season wherein tripling up on Man City is, is not going to be a, a, a big problem. As in, earlier we used to uh, think of triple Man City attack or at least uh, uh, 
that spot has opened up because there's a lot of options. And if in case they're going big at the back or if you're going uh, with uh, three premiums in terms of Salah, Lukaku, and uh, Ronaldo, I think it's, it fairly makes sense to go with uh, players like Gray, Gallagher, uh, uh, Jokure for that and Saar because you don't you, you're not going to play all of them together uh, every single week you'll probably play two of them or one of them and I think they offer far enough good value uh, uh, compared to what these guys inconsistently offer uh, in terms of uh, uh, Mount or Jota uh, that, that, that's my thinking so I think these these people should match the other uh, five five to six point five people uh, the players in that region should match the odd ones as in the ones right. that's the premium and uh, in the budget uh, budget bracket, yeah. We said at the start of the season that they're all quite bunched up for a reason because they were trying to hedge the value so they weren't entirely sure. And maybe with Torres, I'll have given one last dance. I think I've, I've probably got other things to do this week. Jota again, one last dance because Brentford and he's out because of that Man City game. Um, but I mean, it's quite tough, isn't it, Anthony, to guess what to do in, in around that sort of kind of mid price, mid bracket. Yeah, it absolutely is. I think on, on Greenwood, actually, and just something I didn't, a, a stat I didn't get to crowbar in anywhere else in the pod, so I'm going to crowbar it in right here on Greenwood and just point out that in the last two game weeks, obviously the two game weeks that Manchester United have played with Cristiano Ronaldo in their team, uh, when you look at shots in the box, it's it's genuinely terrifying what has happened to the prospects of all of the rest of their players. Cristiano Ronaldo has had 12 shots in the box. The next best are Harry Maguire, Jesse Lingard, Jaden Sancho and Raphael Varane with two shots in the box. A hoover, a hoover for their chances. It's, it's just unbelievable what's happened. Like he has turned Manchester United into Juventus last season in a fortnight. It's um, not good, I don't think. And so I think, yeah, if you had Greenwood, I'd be sell, sell, sell. But on Jota, for example, I do feel like, eh, I don't know. When you're getting in the chances, when you're getting in the positions and you have the level of chances that he has, I kind of feel like the broken clock is going to come right quite soon. And I'm just very, very slow to move him on because of that. The Brentford game doesn't strike me as a good fixture, actually, because of what we've seen Brentford do so far. The fact of the matter is, it would be peak Jota to go and score a brace in that game. Just when you're just thinking of selling them, just when maybe when you sell them, Tom, it would be great if you did. It's, 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 I'm not saying this. <laughs> I know you're not. I know you're not. But it would be great if you did, just because I think that's how it would trigger the moment. You know what's um, happening. You know what's happening. It's happening as Man City. That's going to be when he shows up and does something because everyone's going to sold him at that point, and everyone's like, it would "Oh, be great. A troll." It would be great. It would be so so great because I, I don't think I'll manage to get to sell him by then. So maybe, <laughs> so maybe I might get those. Um, yeah. I think, though, you're generally right that there is so many good options there for less that enable you to, let's say, go big at the back, which is what we've been talking about earlier, where there are seemingly much more consistent points to be gotten, or to enable the premium, which we spent the last two pods basically talking about. And so from that perspective, I think, you know, this kind of idea that we had, and I think it was in your wildcard, and I still think it's a sensible idea, and I don't condemn it by any means, but I can totally see why people are like, oh, the 7 and 7.5-ish midfield bracket, dump them and allow yourself to kind of uh, just get the points that we know seem to be coming from the back so far and to move with it. Personally, I, I'd give both Jada and Torres at least another week or two, uh, purely because I just feel like the chances are, are going to come their way against any opposition because they play for that type of team. Fair enough. We'll come on to that in the chances and captains as well. 
me also being in the owning Jota and also owning Torres kind of bracket. But no, I hear what you're saying about Greenwood. I think that that probably is one that a few people are concerned about, aren't they? And selling Ronaldo is all over Twitter at the moment because obviously there were loads of plans, including mine, um, to sell Ronaldo in game week seven. Uh, not the case anymore. Uh, so Karen Tyres has summed this up very nicely. So he looks forward to the pod tonight. Um, are we still planning to sell Ronaldo for Lukaku in game week seven or maybe game week eight? Or is having both the wrong Kaku uh, and Noodles uh, the way to go? Um, so I think this is probably perhaps actually low-key the most interesting question of this week. I think maybe it's going to come up again next week. You know, the, the best of the talismans, I suppose. And Neil, Neil Gutscher already also asked about this, actually, on our Slack. Um, but is it you know, talisman Ronaldo versus talisman Lukaku? What do you do? Um, when do you do it? So game week seven against Everton or game week eight against Leicester, are you going to move on to Lukaku, who's got Southampton and Brentford in corresponding fixtures? Um, for me, as a Ronaldo owner, I think it's week eight. For me, if I'm not sure yet either, I'm not sure if I buy the argument about him being fixture-proof, which I've seen kind of begin to promulgate on FPL Twitter. Lots of evidence thrown up by the likes of Mark on Black Box. And um, also, um, a friend I mentioned earlier, FPL Janino, since this, um, he said he looked at Ronaldo's uh, fixture-proofness last year against the top four clubs in Serie A. He played seven games, two goals and zero assists. Um, he blanked against the likes of Atlanta, AC Milan, Napoli away, he scored against them at home. And he also scored a goal against uh, Inter at home. But, you know, seven games, two goals. Uh, for Lukaku, it's a little bit better. So eight games he played, he wasn't injured for any of those games. Whereas Ronaldo did miss a game against Atlanta. Uh, four goals, one assist. And maybe it could be better off playing the fixtures. I think, however you look at it, if you sell him game week seven or game week eight, it's hugely justified to be selling any player who's playing Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea in the space of five game weeks, which he does um, after game week eight, no matter who they are. Um, Pen goals are likeliest to be what hurts you, as you guys have both found um, a Salah very recently. But that's, you know, that, that's one of those things you can't really legislate for. It's knowing when that happens, but you can be happy about the decision you've made. I think Ronaldo as well, there's the tyranny of FDR at play too. Um, Everton listed as a four in game week seven, um, but no Pickford. Um, and obviously them kind of struggling a little bit could kind of mean that four is one of those is a little bit questionable. Um, and if we're leaning into the silliness full on, there's two early games for Ronaldo. So 12.30 this week, 12.30 next week. No, I'm not going to buy that. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that you know, game week nine versus Norwich for Chelsea—that's the one where you want Lukaku. I, I'm finding it. I find it very, very hard to kind of say with any confidence that I won't have Lukaku that week. Um, but you can build a narrative, and I'm consciously doing this right now. I'm not sure when I'm going to commit to making the move because I'm, I'm on the aggressive kind of. A premium moving strategy rather than having a premium on a two dog kind of man me. Um, the game week seven opponents have Hampton for Lukaku. They have kept a clean sheet against Man City. They have kept a clean sheet against West Ham with Antonio on the pitch for the majority of the game. And they've drawn 1 1 with United. So they're not kind of a pushover as you might expect. Game week eight against Brentford. Well, could they still be masquerading as a decent defence by then? Could they be like you know a new Sheffield United? Who knows? Uh, whereas 
Cristiano Ronaldo in those two games is playing against Everton at home and a spiralling Leicester in the same time. I was setting up to play the, the aggressive strategy and it's about kind of when the threshold is moving the player on. I mean, I can see people moving in game week seven and kind of going, oh, you know, Ronaldo's got, got Everton and who have got luminaries such as Luca Dean and luminaries such as Yeri Mina holding up their defence and wow, you know, it's well worth holding on. Um, I think I think game week nine is when it becomes a bit of a non-question because having no Lukaku against Norwich is probably going to be the time to do it. And there's obviously the one million difference between Lukaku and Ronaldo, which kind of makes it okay to hold it for a couple of weeks. So I think that's probably going to be the time I go for it. Are we still going to do it? I think I'm still going to do it, but I think we're going to leave money in the bank to buy Ronaldo back. Um, I think that that's kind of just clear because we're getting 15 onwards, men night's fixtures are really, really good. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, Surya, where are you on this? I really want the Ronaldo-Lukaku double-up to work, but I don't think uh, that's going to end up really great because uh, I don't see United scoring uh, a considerable or win, win by a considerable margin against these big big oppositions. Of course, Ronaldo does well uh, in big games, but all of its historical stats, it doesn't prove anything that uh, uh, he's going to come good against all of these opponents. And when you have a ready-made player like uh, Lukaku facing teams like North City, uh, I think it does make the sense to to hop off Ronaldo and go to Lukaku and then probably have money in the bank and get back to him. But there is still one part of me that says Ronaldo too will will do far enough well against big big opposition because he he should be motivated to get United where they are. But of course, all of it are, are time dependent how the games goes, how the first 10-20 minutes pan out and what what it. There's too much of risk and uncertainty involved in holding Ronaldo and expecting him to match what Lukaku could. Uh, to get uh, get out of opposition like uh, North City. So, at the moment, I'm planning to hop Ronaldo off and go to Lukaku and still keep the stability of my team and uh, go big at the back. So, that that's what I'm thinking as of now. Yeah. So, I'm obviously a little bit different to you both in that I'm off with my Threemium right now. I still have it. I have Lukaku already. I have Ronaldo right now. I do not, as it stands, intend to sell Ronaldo unless I kind of see a, get a compelling reason to move him on. The compelling reason may well be, of course, that I could you know, distribute funds throughout my team in a little bit more of a logical way. Yeah, it could. Yes, it could, dear listener. But the fact of the matter is that right now I'm, I'm just not at all set up to do that. And so it's just not quite something that I'm kind of trying to work towards. Um, I have enough reason, I feel, to hold on to, to Ronaldo for Villa, Everton, Leicester, and then after that, it's like, okay, then there's the worrying patch. There's yeah, Liverpool. Yeah. Okay, right, Liverpool. Tottenham. Ooh, ooh, so scary. You know, like, come on. And uh, and then uh, Manchester Derby against City. Like, that's at home as well. Like, could you think of a, a more inevitable occasion for Ronaldo to have a big game? And so it, it kind of feels like, you know, trying to find a reason to say that, oh, against, for Juventus, when Juventus had a pretty poor season under Andres. It's Ronaldo. Pirlo, it's Ronaldo. You can see anyone. For a Juventus team who were having a poor season under Andrea Pirlo, who um, it didn't quite work out under, um, now in a different team with a very different structure or no structure, depending on how they decide to play. Um, but who have been notably good against top six sides under Ole. If anything, they have always got a plan against top six sides, if not against the others. Um, I don't necessarily feel all that nervous holding on to Ronaldo through any of those games, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, and I kind of feel like Ronaldo is, he, there is that, yeah, but it's Ronaldo. He he is a little bit inevitable. Penalties are inevitable as well. 
And, um, you know, like he could have had three penalties against West Ham. Like, surely he could have had two. He could easily have had one. You know, like... Uh, Do you think it, that, that could be symptomatic, though, about how he is perceived by referees? Because there were obviously... I think there was a good argument that two of those penalties were legitimate penalties. Mm-hmm. If the referee doesn't give it on the pitch, then mm-hmm. VAR is powerless, right? So mm-hmm. do you reckon there's an overhang with the kind of player Ronaldo is, you know, kind of like profiling, as it were, that could curtail that impact? There is. Until this week, the referees are being all uh, analysed for failing to give him penalties. And now people are like, oh, goodness, we better, you know, it's like you can spin this any way you like. Yeah, yeah, you could, course, you yeah, could yeah. say now it's like the referees feel like they can't not give him the penalty because this is the opprobrium that comes about when they don't. Yeah. And like in this sense, you know, the greater referees idea are very fortunate that you know United ended up winning that game because if they hadn't uh, from that perspective it wouldn't have been particularly um, fair. There's a unique ability to spin narratives however you want around all premium players but but Ronaldo I think in a way it's there is always the but it's Ronaldo question you know it's like you know it's like oh you just have to watch the Ireland Portugal game to feel like but it's Ronaldo and and you'll never you'll never feel (laughs) anything but uh, anyway, let's move on to the next question without delving into a Hindu monkey pit of despair. Uh, the final question this week around goalkeepers. Hooray! It's not like I've engineered it this way. Not at all. Um, so uh, James Carroll and Adam Pritchard uh, mentioned on the stack about goalkeepers. So James uh, said, um, who even are the decent goalkeeper picks at the moment? Um, Adam Pritchard um, always says, yeah, I'm interested in that, mate. And Joshua Biggs has the same problem as me. Oh, wow. I was really, really trying to fish for that. And someone did come through. Josh, uh, what, what big C? Good guy. I've spoken to him for many, many years, actually. Um, he's got the same problem I do. He's uh, looking where to go from back then. So if you're on Sanchez, I guess you're pretty okay. I mean, Bryson's kind of defensive numbers are, are fairly decent, we've spoken about. Um, but outside of that, it's kind of open season, really. Um, and I'm in a position where I've got Backman and I've got to probably move him on because I'm sure that Foster's going to hold the role. And um, there is a trophy unlock potential for me in front of me, guys. There's like an, an, an achievement unlock on Xbox, a trophy unlock in, in PlayStation style, um, which is I could do the most boring transfer the world's ever seen. I could do, hold your breath, steer to Foster. I could have both more for the goalkeepers and you and, and commit to just doing that and uh, thanks everyone for listening <laughs> God, good night um, but I did have a look around the goalkeepers uh, around this sort of area uh, Ray is obviously the one um, if I had more money I'd be looking at I've only got 4.5 so I can't really buy him but 13 shots on target faced 11 saves made I think he's probably a pretty decent goalkeeper effectively um, uh, but in 4.5 sort of area it's, it's not the best so you've got the Sanchez sort of place you've got Ramsdale recently doing okay but too much of a risk I think because I think Leno could come in whenever uh, so I've kind of homed in on McCarthy, Sanchez and Guaitar. Just by Sanchez and end it. Yeah no, I, 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 Please just the love of God make it stop. I'm not sure like, I, I think I think I think I might I think I might get Guaitar um, so they've played Spurs, Liverpool, Chelsea and West Ham already uh, Crystal Palace and level with Brighton for it expected clean sheets and he's also got uh, more saves per minute and uh, more uh, saves uh, from shots on target and he's got more saves um, than those kinds of players so it could be that 
But I guess kind of linking back to what we've spoken about throughout this podcast, I have noticed from doing some messing around this evening, as I said earlier on, that I could buy Edison, I could sell Torres for Gallagher, and I could throw Edison in for Backman, which probably could be worth looking at if we're saying that you know, long-term investments in City are worth looking at. And FPL Dread said that question about you know, defend, uh, about kind of premium goalkeepers actually being the assassin because... You've got all this sort of rotation defence and you've got the goalkeeper kind of staying on. I mean, could he be the ultimate galaxy brain move to bring in Edson? I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm overplaying, basically. I really just think just go for Edison, to be honest. And if you really don't feel like doing that, then just get Sanchez. I, I really, really, I can be as reductive as that with my answer. I, really... <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I'm using two for chance this week. So I think it's going to be one. Uh, so I think it's probably looking at Sanchez versus Guaita. I might get Guaita for the Oh, but that's a long-term compromise. Yeah, yeah, it is. But I mean, next week, I've got to get rid of Jota as well. Um, so... You know, the, the, I, I want to for transfers actually in game week seven um, for the Chelsea turnaround. And I think that that'll probably be when I bring in another Chelsea defender. So I think this uh-huh. week I, I want to do one. 4.5 uh-huh. is what I've got. So I've got to look at Sanchez. I've got to look at Guaitar or McCarthy. I mean, it's sort of terrible, isn't it, really? Uh, anyway, um, enough of self indulgence to move on to transfers and captains. And Surya, you're first. So your boss team, you've got Ronaldo captain against Aston Villa. You have one free transfer, right? So what are you going to do? Uh, so it's more or less likely him in a south for uh, uh, Antonio and uh, uh, and then the captaincy is between Salah, Ronaldo and an outside chance is Antonio. So the, 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 that's the move that I will be probably making. The bench is also fairly enough set. Uh, I think I wouldn't disturb any of it. So it's going to be him in his two, Antonio in all likelihood and uh, one of Salah, Ronaldo uh, to be captaincy options. The one thing that keeps putting me off of Salah that slightly is that uh, Brentford defensive numbers are good. Uh, of course, it, it's against a top seven team for the first time this season. We'll have to see how they uh, do really well. Uh, and and more or less likely, I'll end up captaining Salah after all of these ramblings. So so that that's me. So it's going to be Jimenez to Antonio. Yeah. So where I'm at right now is having used two free transfers, I now find myself with one free transfer and I currently know what I'm going to do in terms of my forwards. I will be keeping Lukaku, Ronaldo and Antonio, probably captaining Ronaldo. That's where I'm at right now. In midfield, as it stands, I have Salah, Jota and Ben Rama in my starting lineup. I have Alan and Rafinha, who's currently an injury doubt on the bench. I'd like to play Rafinha in that game, but I don't know if he's going to be fit. Um There'd be a bit of a temptation to make a transfer there, but I kind of feel like I should just sit on my hands. Uh, ben Ram is someone who I want to move on. Jota is someone who I was considering moving on, but I don't want to do it just yet. And so they're both going to survive another week in all likelihood. Uh, my defense right now, I have starting Sufal, Cody, White, and Livramento uh, with Ailing uh, with his yellow flag on the bench. Cody, Southampton, you just don't know what's going to happen with Southampton. That could be a clean sheet for them. Likewise, Lee Romento, uh, Wolves could get an XG of like 17 and still end up scoring nothing. So you might as well start him and he has a bit of an attacking threat too. And then White against Tottenham. Tottenham have been really struggling. And North London Derby, this is a real chance for Arsenal, having been so criticised defensively to prove that defensively they are actually solid. And so I think Ben White is obviously going to start that game for me no matter what. So I think that four could quite easily be settled. And I still have Sanchez in goal as well. If I can, actually, I wouldn't mind uh, rolling my transfer, even though I have two injury diets on my bench and the King Alan just ready there to swoop in if I need to. I need to move towards the Chelsea fixtures shift and get some sort of premium defender in. I suspect in the longer term, what I'm going to do is 
I will weaken my midfield slightly and downgrade one of Benrama, Jota or Rafinha to fund and move up to a better defender from Sufal. It's just how I get to that with probably two free transfers if I roll this one. Uh, I'm not quite sure yet. Fair play. I mean, this is the week to play Allen, isn't it, Anthony? I mean, he's playing against Norwich. You've been amazing. stunning Allen for a long time and I, I'm a bit disgusted that you've not decided the, to play the, him. The, the, the thing with Allen is that he's always ready. You know, and at the moment it will come. Like, who will be there if Jota doesn't play? Perfect moment with you. I mean, who will be there if White disappears for some reason? Alan. Who will be there if Livramento's time ends? Alan. You know, he's he's a constant um, on my bench. I'm genuinely hoping Alan gets to assist this week. And then and uh, well, and Lukaku gets an injury in the warm up and suddenly emerges. Alan emerges onto my side. I'm really hoping he's staring at you with double figure hole. Fet the French king. It would be amazing, wouldn't it? Anyway, um, so for me, um, I've got a pretty decent team this week, actually. I think I'm going to be rolling over another sort of transfer. Um, I think I'm going to be basically sat there looking at baking a goalkeeper transfer. I think I'm going to be getting in Guaita. Sorry, guys. I'm going to ignore you both. Um, I, I think that at the back, I've got Christensen, TAA and Shaw as the three at the back. Um, in midfield with Ben Rama against Leeds, fair enough. Uh, Jota, uh, a last dance, effectively. Um, Salah and Rafinha. If Rafinha doesn't play, then Torres comes in. Antonio, Ronaldo and Dennis. So I'm going to be benching Torres for Dennis because I've got Christensen. I can imagine that game being about not losing rather than anything else. So I can imagine that being a, a, you know, a six-pointer. And I've got Cody second sub, so uh, doing his job effectively. So if Chris doesn't play, then Cody comes in um, and does that job. Um, and the, the team's okay. Again, uh, I'm not really too worried about any of that. Um, I'm not too worried about benching Torres. And I think that that entire team works okay. I think that's it though, isn't it, Anthony? Yeah, it is. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We were Who Got the Assist. We would greatly appreciate if you'd leave a five-star review if you liked what you heard and haven't done so already in recent times. Uh, YouTube, if you want to watch us rather than listen to us, then you can go to search WGTA on YouTube or search Who Got the Assist if you're just a bit of a long-form type. And you will find the podcast there too. Correspondence, if you want to get it in, who got the assist at gmail.com, Tom's DMs, my DMs, Tom's number if you have it, my number if you have it, and the league code, if you wish to join it, 3IP43T. Thanks so much for joining us tonight, Surya. Thanks, thanks, guys. It was fun recording. Of course, I felt a bit sleepy in between, but then I still powered through uh, the entire session. It was, it was a great uh, talking to both of you. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a whole lot of fun uh, being on Hogwarts. Yeah. I kind of kicking in that I was, I was a guest on Hogwarts. Yeah, so, oh. yeah, it was so fun. Probably I'll be back sometime soon. Now. Yeah, we'll have back again soon. So, yeah. oh my god, it must be was it four o'clock uh, Indian time? So you better go to sleep now. Um, but yeah, no, really great to have you on. <laughs> and and we should say by the way as well, just to your Twitter handle, I should have said it. It's at all about FPL. That's all one word. There's no underscores or anything, and they're just all about FPL. That's it. Who's just you thinking about defenders uh, for? your season going forward about next week as usual i'm not sure what we're going to be talking about there's a start of having data. premiums are they good <laughs> we're not per se company the start of having data is going to be really good next week so i get to do some messing around with you know data and graphs and things so that'd be really really fun uh, but in the meantime host this juice with you very very soon goodbye oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist
Social Podcast Network.